You have arrived at episode 38 of the Rockonomics Podcast. I'm your host, Dill, and today we sit down with Sadler Vaden of Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit. A journalist wrote, with a name like Sadler Vaden, you're either destined to become a rock star or a villain in the Star Wars franchise. And lucky for us, Sadler is the former. Hailing from South Carolina, Sadler cut his teeth playing for the rock trio Leslie before joining the influential Atlanta band Driving and Crying. After a move to Nashville, Sadler eventually hooked up with Jason Isbell in time to support his breakthrough album, Southeastern. Five years, two studio albums, and a couple Grammys later, here we are talking about it all on this week's podcast, starting right now. Quote, I, said, I can't remember where I got it from, but your quote is, it's been a pretty amazing little journey. Uh, you go from touring in a van, dogging it out just like any other band, which is all I've ever known. It's just to slowly selling out the Ryman, and then doing Austin City Limits, then you're playing Letterman, Conan, Lincoln Center, and you're opening for Willie Nelson, you've got a bus, you've got a crew, and you're going to Australia, you're going to Sweden. So that, in a nutshell, is kind of, I, I like where it all began and, and where you ended up. And and calling this economics, it's not about, like, I've made it and I'm rich. It's just the journey, it's just the sur- surviving. Surviving yes. the business. And what I, from what I know from you, it's like it's been a... A long journey, and right now it's 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 you know everything's going really great. But if you want to take me back, you know, I guess right into the days of uh, Leslie, or, or kind of what led into that, and you know, let's let's get into what life was like. You know, I guess you, you guys must have been slugging it out on the East Coast circuit, or did you? You know, were you able to tour the states at that time? Or we uh, one year we played 250 shows, wow. which which was a lot um, for any band. Um, yeah, I mean, in those days, I was 18, and I had I had quit high school, and there was a band called The Working Title from Charleston, South Carolina, and they were sort of the local uh, signed by a major label band. Okay. And there was a lot of promise there, and they were a really good band, and they needed an auxiliary guitar player. So they hired me, and that was like my first... I was a hired gun okay. at 18. Oh, that's great. Um, so from that, I met Jonathan. Carmen is his name, and he was driving and, and selling merch for that band and sort of doing some tour managing, and, and we formed the band Leslie together, okay. which was named after the Leslie Speaker. It was right about the time that band Jet came out, and there were you know the Hives, yep. a lot of bands like yep. that, the Strokes. So I was really in the rock and roll from my dad's record collection already. But those bands coming out, I was 18, just ready to... I was right. like, okay, I'm starting a band. So we started a power trio called Leslie. And we actually did tour around the States. Okay. It wasn't anything um, that was... Uh, you know, we weren't that successful as far as like we never had a booking agent we booked all of our own shows mm-hmm. we had a manager but we never signed a record deal or anything like that were there opportunities that popped up that just fell flat or didn't yes. go through there was always a, a opportunity that, that we entertained and then it just didn't pan out right and I imagine too if this is 2004 around when it began right? 2004 yes um, I'm trying to think the whole strokes frenzy you know, it became the Strokes and Interpol, and then I, you know, back, you know, record companies, they see something they like, go out and get it. Mm-hmm. Was there any, and that seemed to be like 2001, I think, 2002, maybe I'm wrong, but was there any residual effect of that? Like, 
you know, Leslie is a band. We were too late or too early. Okay. Because what I remember about that time is we were playing very... Well, we really started out as a jangly British rock, like British pop rock influence with alt-country thrown in there, too. It was really a weird... uh, mishmash of things right. but it was all the things I was into and then my drummer was into so it was like The Who The Beatles Oasis mm-hmm. Ryan Adams Wilco <laughs> so it was you know we wore all those influences on our sleeves and then we morphed into more of a 70's like southern rock guitar heavy okay rock and roll band trio um so we always had opportunities from each uh uh you know, era of the band creatively, but nothing ever. I, I just think music was moving into Kings of Leon becoming this arena band. Right. So that that's sort of how I sum that era up, is things got like 80s again. Right, right. And we were sort of a, like guitar-slinging, long-hair yeah. thing. So. so in the seven years you did that, I mean, what were the... I mean, what would you consider were the highlights of that seven years? Were there, I mean, I know we, I, I mentioned like close calls, but if close calls didn't come through, what do you look back on and think that was a lot of, that was great at that time? Or uh, Everything about it was, was pretty great. I just remember all the good stuff. Um, you know, I don't, I don't miss driving home from Atlanta, you know, in the middle of the night, yeah, which was, which was dumb, but we couldn't afford hotel rooms and things like that. And we do these weekend gigs and and all that. Um, You know, all the relationships that I have now really were from... uh, They were were due to the seven years I did in that band. Like, we used to open for Jason and the 400 Unit. Mm -hmm. We used to open for Driving and Crying. Um, I got to write with a bunch of people from being in Leslie. Mm -hmm. Um, Went to Nashville. I met Audley Freed. I met Angelo Petralia, who was Kings Leon's writer producer. Uh, I met Jay Joyce, who produces Eric Church, and all these great people. You through know, that, who, yeah, that through time. through doing that band. So that I owe pretty much um, my career now to the time I was I was in that band. That's why I was really glad that I started my own band and and saw it through for seven years. So right. I, I put the time in. You know. I'm sorry. The, the context you say you're making. Did you you made them in those seven years? Were some of those opportunities coming up within those seven years, like songwriting with other people? Yes. Through? Okay. Yes. Okay. So and and then uh, moving on from the band, you know the the places I went after that, you can trace them all back to right, right. being in in uh, Leslie for for that time period. Right. So there comes a point where, you know, and it's funny I saw when you join driving and crying uh you were saying you don't have to write all the songs you don't have to send out the posters so i, I love that effect of that <laughs> you're you know it's you know leslie is a diy band and it's it's all you and then you take the you know you get the relief of being a hired again once again for lack of a better expression and you get to do what you love to do which is just basically you know play be a musician it was yes it, it was uh it was it was strange at first, <laughs> and then I really liked it a lot. Um, and it wasn't you know all me doing everything, Leslie, like my bass player and drummer in that band. And it was kind of everyone. Sure, sure. But uh, as a trio, but, there's a lot to, for three. People yeah, and especially when you don't have help on the booking end and label services or anything like that. So 
um, there was just only there was only so much we could do. Um, but yeah, it was a lot. I mean, just just uh, you want to just concentrate on playing your instrument or writing songs and stuff like that. That's the ultimate goal is to uh, I think get to a level where you know there are people working for you that take care of all those right. other things, and you can literally concentrate on being the best you can be. You know, on stage every night and in the studio. So. Uh-huh. I have a general awareness of driving and crying, but where were they at the stage that you picked up with them? I know you had a long relationship with them, and they had, you know, they were on Island at one time, and they were on Geffen at one time, so yes. it was probably heady days, and, um, you know, there are a band that, when you endure that long, you've got a fan base, you know, that you've you've earned over, over the years, so when you joined, were they just kind of, you know, sustaining what they had built, or were they... Yeah, what kind of you know what kind of mood was it when when you when you got in? The mood at the time was was good. It seemed like they were they needed something to change though. Mm-hmm. They put out a record called Great American Bubble Factory, I believe, came out in I want to say two thousand six or two thousand seven. I may be wrong. But I thought it was a really great record, and there was a lot of hope for that album to. So this was like Driving and Crying's kind of like comeback, right? You know, record. Um, and it, I think it did pretty well. And then a few years later is when I joined after that record. So I think they were just in this, you know, place where they were a little bit in limbo. Like, okay, well, what do we do next? And right. their guitarist at the time wasn't really happy in the band, and I don't know if they were happy with him. And so they split, and I had just. Uh, broken off from from my group because it wasn't where I wanted it to be and I wasn't where I wanted to be I was 25 Mm -hmm. right, what's next you know (laughs) quarter life crisis that's the beauty of youth it's like it's gotta happen it's gotta happen you know right away yeah and and (laughs) uh, 25 is still very young yes yes. but you know if nothing's really happening I didn't go to college or anything it's like okay I gotta make I gotta make some sort of step uh, career wise in, in the right direction um so when I joined Driving and Crying, I think it was just a it was a kick in the ass. It was we got this young guy in the band who was very pumped to be here. He grew up listening to the band, right. loves these songs, knows these songs. He's full of energy. You're bringing that to the band, also, yeah. And I think know. Kevin got really inspired. Yeah. The whole band got inspired. And I think Kevin Kenny, the the uh, mm-hmm. primary songwriter and singer of the band, just. Was uh, he he found a new creative uh, spark? So he started writing a lot of songs, and we made four EPs while I was in the band. We did like a series of EPs. Right, so, right. Yeah. Um, were they? They were no longer with a major label at that point, or were they? No. Okay. So everything's independently released. Mm-hmm. On, you know, out of their own, like a small label, independent label, or was it kind of them? Uh, them being DIY. I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was DIY, and they had maybe some distribution or something mm-hmm. but yeah it was pretty DIY and I'm sorry and back with Leslie um, was everything hand to mouth in that in those days absolutely like gas in the tank and uh, maybe a burger yes like the, the two other um, the, the two other band members worked at a couple of different bars and stuff like that and I uh, would would play in cover bands mm-hmm. I would get hired to to play in cover bands and in bars and weddings and whatever else I could right. I could do it may be hard to imagine for some people but but actually that's probably good money I mean I know wedding bands make 
pretty decent. <laughs> yeah, for pretty decent for gig. a twenty two year old or whatever, like just trying to get by, it, yeah. it was when it when there was work, it was yeah. it was great. Um, you know, and when I was uh, my uh, father passed away when I was eighteen, and then my mother passed away when I was twenty one. Mm-hmm. So those three years after my uh, father passed away, I would uh, play in these cover bands and stuff, and literally just give that money right to my mom like you know right. so because I you know still living at home with mm-hmm. her and, and she was dealing with all her treatments and everything like that so that was really good to be able to do it was you know make 120 bucks to right. play for three hours at Wild Wing Cafe and you know <laughs> but if I did two or three of those things a week like that's great money yeah, no, for, for, sure. for a family who is uh, broken in some ways because because we just, you know just lost my dad and and we're on you know food stamps and right. government help all that kind of stuff so you know that uh, looking back it's like that's great for someone like me who was very passionate very driven you know I had to play Dave Matthews John Mayer all this stuff that wasn't my favorite music but I'm so glad I learned yeah, that sure. I because I can apply out. it uh, you know and appreciate. The, the musicians that laid that music down mm-hmm. so so yeah that's what that's what those days were like um, also going into Driving and Crying was that at the same time did you move to Nashville and then and then it became a full time it was simultaneous the timing was was it was wild because I know uh, sometimes even a move is a tough thing financially so, yeah. you know going anywhere in the country yeah. is hard to do but and I was uh, living with my girlfriend who's now my wife and uh, you know it's this whole crazy change that was happening and was Nashville strictly for opportunity or some of these people you're meeting are, are kind of pulling you there I think the thought process behind that was I was always the, the kid in town in Charleston that was known as like the, the really good guitarist mm-hmm. especially for his age and mm-hmm. all that stuff so I was having a bit of a uh, identity crisis, and so I, I think I thought, well, what do people pay me to do? Because Leslie, you know, that like I, I must not be that good at this Leslie thing because I don't make any money doing it. <laughs> but all these people pay me to play guitar, so that's what I'm going to do. And I think I need to go to Nashville and see if I'm any good or not. And you know, I'll know if I if I can make it somewhere like Nashville. Right, you know, and I don't know how true that is, but in my case, it was true. Yeah, because when I got there, people liked the way I play guitar. Did it and happen fairly quickly for you once you got to Nashville? It, it happened, or I know pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so right as that that moment, I decided I wanted to move to Nashville. Candace was like, "Well, I want to come too," and I was like, "You know, yes, I want you to come as <laughs> Please well." Please do. Uh, and so she ended up going to getting into Vanderbilt for nursing school. Okay, great. Um, so that was serendipitous too. And right, we were about to move was when Driving and Crying kind of asked me to join their band. So that was great moving into a town like Nashville because Driving and Crying has all this history, um, and I could kind of be a new kid in town and say, "Yeah, well, yeah, I'm in this band, Driving and Crying." Right, right. And most people knew who that was. Yeah. If you know, if you're in the southeast you kind of know especially in the rock scene now in broad strokes was that a you know um that gig 
again, were you a hired gun or were you were they given equity in the band or? They yeah they they sort of made me a, a member Remember. of the band in a hired gun form. Okay. You know, but it was like press photos, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they 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 bumped my pay up a little bit, and so yeah, it was great. So you're seeing yeah, I, I guess what I was getting to. You're seeing more what you used, you know, seeing more what you saw when you're doing it. Leslie, yeah, they definitely put me in the band. Up. It was it was yeah. a band. I know yeah. it was a bigger band. Mm-hmm. Um, and did they, you know, did they? Uh, did they tour beyond the, beyond the U.S. ever? I long? never went with them overseas or anything. Okay. They they do tour. They go to Holland a lot. Oh, really? They, they do really well in Holland, yeah. Okay. That's funny to hear. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but I never got a chance to go over there with them. I mean, it it was two years that I was in the band, um, you know, but it, it was it was like a short two years. Mm-hmm. What did you ultimately want? From that experience, you know, going into it, I think both parties involved knew that it wasn't something that was going to, you know, go go on for ten years or whatever. I think Kevin saw something in me, and I think he, what he wanted was for me to um, learn, and then eventually find whatever that next thing is right it sounds like it was a, it was a beneficial beneficial relationship for both of you he got the kick in the ass he got the inspiration and he probably also knew that you were on the rise and it's not you know couldn't keep you down from i don't think he would ever want to do that yeah. i don't think he ever wanted to do that now i think when i ended up leaving to to join the 400 unit i don't think it was i don't think yeah, we were both ready yet, but it was you know you have to make those decisions. Right. Um, so that was that was it was like the easiest, hardest decision right. I've ever had to make. <laughs> if that makes any sense. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting time too because I mean, obviously Jason's you know really blown up, but back then when at the point that you joined was the beginning of it all. It, it was. I the, mean, not, not the beginning of him in the foreign unit. Right, right. He was well established, but but uh, I think I told someone the other day. I knew the train was leaving the station. I just didn't know how much steam the train was going to get. <laughs> but it was leaving the yeah. station. Uh, I that's the best way to put right. it. Uh, but yeah, I definitely. Um, you know, we right when I joined. I mean, it was really hard touring. Nothing I wasn't used to. Um, van and trailer right, all across the U.S. hitting it hard. You know, no crew. Everybody's just you know you doing band in a van. Yeah, loading your own gear in and all that stuff. Staying in hotel rooms. Uh, How do you see and, that change? Like, is it a is it a, like it, from one week to the next? Do you see? Does it become like, hey, we got a, a, a bus now? Or like, it, it uh, it's always been. Or is it a, a really healthy that, pace, you know. what I've seen in the five years of being in this band. It's always been a very healthy pace. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing too fast and nothing like too slow. It's like it's always been like the right pace. So I think I was in the band close to a year. And Southeastern just started doing really well. And there was just a lot of buzz and positive reactions to it. And shows were selling out, like the small places we were playing everything was selling out and I think we added like one or two people to help us 
and then in the beginning of 2014 is when I think we got a bus and that was a bus with a trailer so everything was you know smashed into this trailer and then uh, we had the we, we did that for like a year then the next year it was like alright I think we're gonna have two buses you know or or one bus still and then and then you know six months later hey we got some lighting so we're gonna need a truck and you know so yeah. it was it was uh, that's funny to hear yeah, little by little, really, you know. But it, it's I like it that way because you can kind of soak it in a little bit in real time instead of yeah, yeah. one week to the next, things changing so fast. Yeah, You don't have time to take that in. Now, is it true the first show you did with him, there was no rehearsal? No rehearsal, which I never rehearsed with Driving and Crying, not once. Okay. So I, And that was weird because with Leslie, we rehearsed all the time. <laughs> That's probably what was the matter with us. Uh, but, yeah, there was no rehearsal. Jason, uh, we, at a, after our initial conversation about me joining the group, you know, it was kind of like, well, I, I'd love to give it a shot. And that's kind of how I was approaching it. And he was like, all right, well, great. I mean, I think it'd, it'd be something to, that uh, would work out. And, you know, <laughs> it was like, well, we have this show at Crossroads in Huntsville, Alabama, like next whatever Saturday I mean well you know once I just go ahead and start playing with us I guess you know there's no need to rehearse I mean he knew I could play sure. and knew I sang and all that stuff so sort of like well let's see what you got like on stage might as well yeah now does that is are you does that I guess I always project I'm like I'm already I'm just nervous like thinking about it but I mean were you like was that a good situation to go into like I'm just gonna let it fly and and I let it fly but like you're professional enough at this point to, you know, you know the music. I think I was confident enough yet timid. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't quite, you know, really comfortable with how I was maybe moving on stage in that band. Or, you know, I mean, I didn't, it's like a different, a whole different thing. Right. Um, but I was confident in my abilities and. You know, I'm the type of player too that's not. If I don't know something, I'm just not. I'm not going to play. Right. Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to fake it. No, I'm just not going to play. <laughs> and I also think that the best pedal I have is the mute switch. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. the best pedal anyone can have is the or the volume knob. You know, yeah. that's the best effect right there. <laughs> just uh, so it, it went great though. I think Jason. He was saying that, you know, don't be afraid to just play the same chord I'm playing, like, mm-hmm. along with me, you know, because I'm a, I'm a very, like, I pride myself in being a thoughtful player. Um, but I can rock out, too. I can play punk and all mm-hmm. that stuff as well. Um, but, you know, it's my first gig. It's like, I don't... Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm just going to try to be tasty and hit the choruses hard and, you know, do some harmonies and sort of listen and watch. Right. Yeah, it was interesting. It was funny. It's funny, just you mentioning that you're a thoughtful player. I, I have a note that, did you, is it true that you won an essay contest and got to meet, uh, was it Little Stephen Van Yes, Van yes. <laughs> Where did you find this stuff? Uh, just the, digging the, up articles? The, the interweb, yeah. Yeah, because I'm not on Wikipedia. By the way, if anyone wants to I, I start noticed. a Wikipedia page <laughs> for me. But he said, and his advice to you was always play for the song. Yes, he said similar. serve the song. Serve the song. Nice. Which I had never heard before at whatever. How old were you at this time? Maybe 17, 16, okay. 17. Okay. Yeah, uh, I wrote it. <laughs> you gotta, you somehow gotta... my dad, I think it was in the paper, 
and we were in Somerville, South Carolina, and somehow my dad got a hold of this thing, and it was basically you had to submit an essay, really short, maybe 150 words or something. Okay. And it was like, what does rock and roll mean to you? And I think I put something like, rock and roll is the beginning licks of Johnny B. Good, uh, the last four chords of Won't Get Fooled Again. Yeah, it was something like, for a 16-year-old, right. like, pretty heavy. you got to yeah. find this, though. It's so funny. i got to find this. It's, it's got to be I somewhere. It really defines you know, who, who you are. Yeah, I, I, it most definitely <laughs> does. Anyway, of course it got accepted when you're putting stuff like that down there. Um, and it was at some place called Muzak Center in Fort Mill, South Carolina. Okay. That's, uh, a, that's literally where Muzak, the like elevator music, the offices are. Yeah, that's, that's where it was. Right. And it was a symposium. And I didn't know what that was at the time. And But but the E Street Band was coming in playing Charlotte. Like I think they'd either play the night before. Or, and I'm not sure, looking back, that little Steven even knew what he was getting into. It was all these kids, and man, they made this big production. When he walked in, I think he was you know, tired from last night. One of the biggest rock and roll bands ever. And he, just the look on his face, all these kids cheering and stuff, I think he was just like, what did I get myself into? exits. <laughs> and then they took us in this room, and the kids that got chosen with the essays got to, like, sit on stools and play for him, like, all at the same time, just a mess. And then uh, I made my way over to him, and, and uh, you know, like, I think before all that he sat down with a microphone and just talked to all the kids about right. you know getting into music and all that stuff anyway I made my way over to him and I was like hey I'm really serious about playing guitar I was one of the older kids there mm-hmm. so I'm really serious about playing guitar I want to make this a career uh, what you know advice do you have for an aspiring guitarist and he said serve the song always serve the song and so at 16 that was like the most valuable piece of information anyone could have given me. And so from, since then, it's always been about that. And my favorite guitar players are like band guitar players. Right. They're not Joe Bonamassa. And mm-hmm. with all due respect, sure. he's great at what he does. But there, it's not that type of guitar playing that I'm into. Yeah. I like you know, Pete Townsend within The Who. And yeah. I love Mike Campbell within The Heartbreakers. So it's that kind of thing that I'm into. That's right. You know. Now you've, you've not... Had any? You've not met him again since, have you? No, okay. I have not. Would you recount that story? Would you like let bygones be bygones? I've definitely, you know, I've thought about <laughs> writing into his show and sending oh, an email and the... saying, "Hey, you know, I met you when you did the sting, sure. and I just wanted to let you know that I am doing exactly what we talked about that day, and I've got a Grammy, and you know, this thing, oh, all these things totally that do, you, you know, totally so, do that. so yeah, totally. I should. I mean, that's good content just for you know. I know radio show to fill up the time. That's good. If it were me, I would stuff. love seeing something like that. Yeah. Knowing that maybe I was a uh, small part that turned into this bigger thing in, in someone's life. Yeah. Like, you know, you know, you just never know. Yeah. No, I'm, totally pro- I'm a product fun. of that. You know, I saw Driving Crime when I was 10 years old, open for the Who in Raleigh, North Carolina. Did I ever think 15 years later I'd be playing in that band? Or did they think that there was a kid out there yeah. at this big amphitheater that would one day be playing guitar in their band? Yeah. So, you know, I think about that now. Like, there may be a 10-year-old kid out here tonight that I could be in a band with in 15 years. Do you, do, do you scan the crowd and, and look to see? I mean, I'm not being facetious, but do you scan the crowd to see if maybe there is a young face out there that's... We have a pretty good you know, amount of... Uh, 
uh, young faces that come to our shows. We have a very mixed uh, yeah. age group that comes to see us play. It feels good. Yeah. I think that means you're playing good music. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm sorry not to jump around, but another yeah. I just want to take was, you know, back to, in context of Driving and Crying and Jason Nisbell, was anybody looking out for you? Did you have representation? Did you have your own manager? Did I did have, not. Okay, so no. you're, you know, you're looking out for number one, which is you. Um, is that still true today? Uh, I actually d- just got a manager. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying to think, I, I, I got this through, I think, a PR, a PR rep. But, um, yeah, and I've worked with uh, PR people before. Um, but yeah, I just I just got someone who's great to to start helping me a little bit, and I think you, everyone needs that. Right. I think that's really important, uh, especially if you're doing more than just playing yeah. in a band. Like I like to make my own records, and I like to produce, and I like to do some other things outside of uh, 400 units. So it's hard to balance all that myself, and just have enough time to enjoy when I'm off the road and. Yeah. My home life as well. So. Yeah, I think more and more artists today, just the, it's the age where you have to be, you have to diversify to to thrive, I guess. Yeah. You know, and it, and it helps when you have somebody looking out for your best interests that can funnel you the opportunities that you need. Right, yeah. So. And I'm, I'm just that way too. I just, I gotta do something with my hands. <laughs> I just have to do, uh, I, I enjoy it. It's not like, I wake up and go, okay, I have to do something different today. It's just, that's what I want to do. Yeah. I want to write a song. I want to, you know, help someone with their song, produce, yep. play on a record. Yeah, creativity so, as an outlet, you got to get it out. Yeah, it's just natural, for, and that's what I've always done. That's what I've always been into. Um, let's talk about some of the highlights of. I just have some random stuff to, from places you played to you know, like TV shows, and you mentioned the Grammy. But um, there was an interview back with you with Driving and Crying, and you said you you know someday you want to play the Ryman. Mm-hmm. I can't. Remember, I can't remember if you said something you might, have, might want to play Red Rocks, but those two places to me yeah. seem like, holy shit, that's yeah, that's as cool as it gets. And now I've played them with Jason eighteen times. Oh. No, <laughs> no, we played the Ryman. I don't know how many times, and we got six shows coming up in October. Red Rocks, we just played our third show at. So we just did the Greek theaters, right? Uh, the one in Berkeley in L.A. And uh, so you know, right? If Beacon Theater, we've played. Six or seven times now mm-hmm. up in New York City. Are there any? What's next in terms of your your venue uh, bucket list? Are there any? <laughs> um, I mean, I, I, I you would know, say we don't I, care I that much for arenas. Yeah, I mean, I, I say bigger is not bad. Well, it's, at this stage. it's easy for us to say that because we we're not an arena band. Yeah, but uh, we really but we have played them before, and we, we it's not something that we really like. None of those would be on my list. We although we did get to play. I believe it was the last concert in the Joe Louis Arena in Detroit, right. Michigan, and I believe that's that in that same complex was where Kiss Alive was okay, recorded, yeah, yeah. and we played there with Willie Nelson and Bob Dylan and Sheryl Crow, and that was I mean that's a you know that's a cool highlight. We shut down that old arena for the Detroit Red Wings, uh, and with those legends, man. with all that, the yeah, like, I mean that, that was pretty cool. Segues into you know meeting you know meeting people you admire. I mean, what's that like? Yeah, uh, yeah, that's that's always a, a treat, you know, especially when they're sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of those highlights would be we just had David Crosby play with us at Newport Folk Fest, where we got to play Wooden Ships in oh. Ohio with him. It was just mind blowing for us. Um, 
Joe Walsh has become a fan of Jason and yeah. the band, and we've been around him a few times. He's great. I got to do an event. Yeah, you were in the house band. I was in the house band. How'd that come about? That's interesting. That came through a uh, great guitarist named Oddly Freed. Yes. Who the Black Crows? Guy? Yeah, Cry yeah. Love, Black Crows. Um, he was in Peter Frampton's band, Dixie Chicks, and then now he plays for Sheryl Crow. So he got asked to f- to form the band for this event to give Joe Walsh the Founders Award and, uh, in Seattle at the Mopop Museum. Right, right. So I got to be in that band, and we backed up Todd Rundgren and Ringo Starr, Paul Rogers, uh, <laughs> Dave Grohl, Robert Randolph, Kenny Wayne Shepard. I mean, this was all-star cast of people and, and some of my heroes, yeah. um, especially like Todd Rundgren, you know, and, and of course Joe Walsh and Ringo. So. Yeah, Tony Rundgren's... Um Production, I, I, maybe it's just his aesthetic. When I saw your your self titled album and the way you guys did the uh-huh. graphics, and stuff, yeah, I was I, I, I felt that was very uh, yeah, Todd Rundgren, yeah, Todd Rundgren esque. Um, back to a little bit of the gigs. It's funny. I've been dying to get somebody who's been on the NPR Tiny Desk t- concert uh-huh. series, and you guys, what was that? What was that like? It's funny because it's not a, a tr- tiny desk at all. It's but a pretty it a, large desk. Is it a true office building? Now? Yeah, I mean, you're like, in. You're less like in the the NPR office. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty cool. And um, it's just like forty people watching you. Staffers? About that, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was. Always, I never seen the. You know, your point of view. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's been anything on, online for that. Yeah. It's just. It's just such a funny. Uh, you know, enterprise that they do that. Yeah, it's, it's a really small space though that we're all packed into, and there's not like monitors and amps and stuff like that. So you have to play really to the vocal, make sure the vocal can be heard. Um, so yeah, it's it's an interesting, fun thing to do. Um, talk shows, Letterman, Conan. I mean, Colbert probably you've done done, done Colbert all. twice. I only got to do Letterman once with this band. Um, did you ever do it with Driving and Crying? No, okay. did not. Uh, Conan, we got to do a few times, which was which was great. We've done uh, CBS in the morning a few times. Okay, um, <laughs> that's gotta be hard. That well, it's a it's not too this early, a- but it shows early like that okay. Sunday or, or that Saturday. So is that pre-tape? Is that a pre-tape? Thing? Yeah, it's pre-tape. Yeah, okay. yeah. So CBS Sunday morning. Okay, I'm, I'm thinking more of like uh, like. Good Morning America, those yeah. shows that are live. Oh, like the Today, like yeah, yeah, Today Show Concert kind of thing. Stuff. Yeah, those are early. I saw Aerosmith on there. I mean, <laughs> I felt so bad for them. And they sounded amazing. I was just like, oh my God, that looks yeah. that looks hard to sing, Love in an Elevator at 8 a.m. <laughs> um, and then quickly, uh, through Jason, is your first time touring Europe? Yes. That, Australia also? Yes. Did you guys go to multiple times at all? Did you go to Japan? Or? No, we've not been over there yet. Hoping that's coming up. Was that a hard lesson in um, uh, jet lag? <laughs> Australia is. Every time it's a hard lesson. Um, Europe, what, I just it, I was just fascinated the first time I went over there. But I thought, I was so scared just with the language mm-hmm. thing. Um, but we're so spoiled because everyone over there knows Ameri- <laughs> English, you know. Did you were you given the luxury of time to actually you know at least get a look around a bit? Yeah, okay. yeah, we'd have some sweet days that's off, good. but you know, day off in Paris, day mm-hmm. off in London, Amsterdam. I mean, you know, that's really good yeah. for for a, someone in their twenties to be exploring around for the first time, playing yeah. music. That's great. 
Um, let's move along to your, your solo, your solo stuff. Um, it seems that all began, I was, I was, I was writing this down. I had Radio Road. That's 2012, but you had like a, did you have a Christmas single before that? The first ever solo release I had was a Christmas song. (laughs) It's funny. How did that, did that do good? I don't know. I think it did all right. (laughs) I mean, did that ever make it to, I'm trying to think if that must've been 2011, yeah, it's still nobody, nobody, I guess nobody pays for music from like 2002 on. Right. But um, I always wondered if, uh, you know, holiday stuff did well for, you know, any artist. I really. think that's that's the goal, you know, if you can get one Christmas song to get get on that, get on those to mixes. get on one of those CDs <laughs> or, or, you know, just, just in the canon of Christmas music, man, I think you're doing pretty good. Uh, no, I just... I just did it for fun one day, and I wanted, but I wanted to actually write like a real song. And so, it's, you know, it's about this kind of Scrooge type guy who he doesn't see Christmas at all, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, the Christmas angel comes and sort of takes him out and shows him all the things that make Christmas great. So that's so the, the song is called "I Don't See Christmas," but at the end, everything turns around. So it's a good ending, but it's a cool like you know. A, I was really influenced by the Tom Petty Christmas song and sort of like ELO and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So I wanted to make something kind of power pop. Yeah, that's great. So. Well, I, uh, hopefully my, my listeners will uh, find it and put it yeah, on Yeah, check it out. I, it I always over. recycle it every Christmas. Yeah. So I go, all right, it's Christmas time. <laughs> you know, put this on your playlist. So. Um, and also just, uh, I guess, broad, broad strokes is everything solo-wise, is that self-funded? Or are you Yes, the, entirely the self-funded. Okay. Yep. And do you? How do you approach that? I mean, are you, you know, are you, are you tight with your money when it comes out? Are you, you know, spending whatever it takes to get what you want? Or it, it, it's a, it's a balance. I don't have the type of funds to go. I'm going to spend whatever it takes sure, to make sure. this thing. You know, uh, PR is can be very expensive. Actually, just an album release in general can be very expensive to roll it out the right way. Right. Now I don't. I'm so busy with 400 unit that doesn't make sense. You know. Uh, Rockonomically, right. <laughs> you know, it right. doesn't doesn't make sense to do it that way. But I look at it as if I just keep doing it, you know, there may be a, uh, an opportunity where I can give give a release, you know, a little bit more of a full push and, and actually do some shows or something like that, some touring. Um, but I didn't want me not being able to tour stop me from putting from doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. So that's that's where that comes. But yeah, entirely self-funded. I mean, I I make sure everybody's taken care of that plays on the record, and and the good thing is that. And you played a lot of. I, I know you had like a, a trio for. I can't remember if it was the last one or. Yes. But are you are you you're doing a lot of the stuff yourself? I play a lot a lot of stuff on there. Um, the the album I did called Radio Road. I played everything mm-hmm. on it, and that was really fun. You know. And it sounds like I played everything. (laughs) Uh, I'm okay. I'm okay. If I if I have a few days, you know, and I'll do a little bit of editing and stuff like that. But but in that situation, I was like hitting space. I was recording, and I didn't have anyone engineering it for me. So I would like hit the thing and run. Give myself a lot of pre roll with click track. Get behind the kit. Put the headphones on. Kind of make sure everything's like okay. And I'd I'd have a scratch guitar track to play to, and so. You know, you do what you can. I mean, that's that's it's fun. Uh, I mean, that's it, just necessity. About, that's, 
it's it's funny whenever you you know I remember when I first moved to New York City and you know had uh, my mattress on the floor yeah. and you know was living paycheck to paycheck but it's like I knew it was never it was like it might get better financially but it's not going to get better for my soul like I was so happy and so alive and you know, I, 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 I really that miss that you know. that sort of uh, freedom um, and I, I still have that I could make that happen I could move the dining room table in our house and set up a drum kit and, and uh, buy a you know, buy an interface with a bunch of channels and then return it when I'm done, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I like stuff like that. Yeah. And I think, you know, Paul McCartney, who's in the Beatles, basically did that for his solo album. He's, a, he's Paul McCartney. He doesn't have to yeah. do that, but, but that's there's what something passion, about I feel doing like that's it. what passion's all about. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think you get a different vibe, too, and it, it's good for the soul, like you just said, mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, I really enjoyed your, your self-titled uh, LP that I mentioned earlier. Um, it's still got some legs. It's two years old, but people still... Have you, you know, been able to... I know you said it's limited, but how many like how many shows have you done kind of behind that? Oh, I mean, probably eight. Okay. <laughs> and they're yeah, yeah. Nashville or Charleston. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, it's just that that came out two years ago, and, and the last two years have been the busiest years of my life I know. professionally. Yeah, because, so, I mean, you've circled this way been almost a year i saw you guys a year ago yeah this, this time last year yes so it's rare that you know there's the repeat yes. repeat cities and my home life's really important uh too you know so it's not something if i have two weeks off i want to go and play uh yeah. you know some people may say well if you cared about it uh, you know <laughs> but i care about my health and my sanity and and my wife and everything like that to to go do that, you know, and we have this wonderful thing called the internet now. So the music, it, you can listen to the music. I'm not at your doorstep, but yeah. you know, you can give a living room, full, you know, film yourself doing a living room concert. Yeah, and, uh, I've never done that. I've, you know, I should <laughs> probably do that. It'd be pretty, pretty fun. Um, uh, I just want to single out one of your singles, uh, "Monster." Um, it just thematically appears to be, you know, it does kind of touch upon the political climate. Yeah. And this doesn't have to do with the music, but it has to do more with the fans right now. Do you, do you and I, I think you being in Jason's band and the, the politics that we live in, and you're, you're playing to, you know, red, blue, independent, everyone in right. between. Is there, do you guys have to, or do you find yourself, are you getting discussions all the time about politics? Or do you guys ever need to, you know, Jason had a thing on Twitter just maybe yesterday, the day before, you know, talking to someone who thought he was being critical, and he said, "I, I, right. don't, want, I don't need an echo chamber. So like, yeah. I want to hear the other side." Yeah. I guess my the short question is: Do you, you know, are you being in a, a band that does where it's politics on its sleeve sometimes? And again, you know, you're talking about a monster. Do you get engaged with conversations from fans a lot, or is it? Mostly- I, I I really don't. Okay. And you know, and that song is pretty like on the nose. I would I would say, but. I was watching a, de- a debate with Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, and I just—I I think I was—I said out loud to my wife, "I was like, they're all monsters." Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, "Maybe that's a—maybe that's something there, you know? They really are all of them to me. Um, there's something. There, there's some other goal, you know, hidden agenda. I always feel like with with politicians, for you sure. Know? So with most of them, yeah. Um. But then I feel like there are religious 
monsters. Yes. I've, you, they're, you know, so... Well, it's every, every interest group out there. Yes. You know, if you have an agenda, you're not looking out. For, you're looking and, out for and yourself. And there's somebody the, next door that you would never know. And that, that's kind of what that song's about, is, is really uh, summing that, all of that up. You know, um, I think I say we're under attack by a sociopath. You know, there, there are things that we're all sort of living with in this country with, with the monsters being out there. Right. So that's kind of what the song, that really is what the song's about. Right, okay. You know, the first part is, you know my name, I'm a friend you claim, I'm, you know, I'm the boy next door. Someone you would never know, um, and that's always the story, isn't it? With yeah. what, with an active shooter or someone that blows up a building or whatever it is. So that's kind of what the song was about. Okay. Um, it also brings up the the notion of you know you you have Monster out as a single, you have Still Kids anywhere but here out as a single, and I've talked to artists recently that have kind of abandoned the LP, mm-hmm. and they're and they're saying you know you really have to play a long game and kind of drop something every you know here and there and they're mm-hmm. just going to do you know singles and LPs so yeah. that's not necessarily something you're is that something you're doing or not necessarily no uh, I just I just do what works best for me at the time and then this year I didn't feel like putting out an album would have made any sense at all with how busy we were sure. uh, as the 400 unit so I was like well a single I can you know keep uh, I can be updated like with myself or up to date with myself um, and put out the best things that I have at this point. And so, you know, Monster was one of those things. Like, okay, I think this needs to come out now anyways with what it's about. And then I wrote Still Kids and Anywhere But Here. And I just thought, what am I waiting? Just put them out. Right. You know, I don't want to wait another year and then I have some other songs that need to get out there too. But but I'm not abandoning the LP approach. I really like a full album. Yeah. Um, I just thought, you know, I'm just going to put these out and just keep people interested, hopefully, in what I'm doing. And that's kind of what it was. Okay. Um, business question, just looking at your, your website, your packaging, you've got a great aesthetic mm-hmm. for your, you know, yourself as a solo artist. Who's doing that? Who's your, you know, who's your designer you know, doing your T-shirts? I go things? with uh, a few different, you know, everything is pretty much... And that just you picking a freelancer to you know or a yeah. company to do mm-hmm. what you need to be have done. Yep, yeah, like uh, the monster artwork was an idea I had that Jeremy Fetzer at Fetzer Design brought to life. Uh, Still kids anywhere but here. I went with just a classic like forty five. Yeah, I love that look. Um, you know that's all. I'm, that's just me having fun, and and it's it's going. I'll use a different studio for this. I'll use a different artwork guy or person, and and so. You know, I just it's it's like make it fun. That that's what my solo stuff is about. I'm serious about it, but I don't want it to feel like it's something that's weighing me down. I'm really like nervous or anxious about it. I want it to be fun. That's right. what music should be. You know, um, it's funny serious reading, and fun. Reading reading the reviews. Here's the list of artists okay. that you get, and I'm curious to see who you want to you know attach your your wagon to. But Petty, Neil Young, Big Star. Those seem to be the th- big three. But uh, uh, wings. Somebody mentioned. Somebody mentioned Boston and Kiss, which I did, I didn't get because I didn't get the. But um, T Rex, I get Badfinger, Zeppelin, Black Crows. I mean, when you hear that stuff, are you, <laughs> are you when you hear that stuff, are, you know, when you do go to like Boston or Kiss, you're like, did you listen to the? Fucking it's a color wheel <laughs> of classic rock, isn't it? 
I'm surprised there's no who on there. No, uh, I think there's. I think people did mention. Yeah, that. yeah. Uh, I mean, that's yeah. I listen to all that stuff. I'm not a huge Kiss fan. Um, I wouldn't say I'm a huge Boston fan, but but it's funny that I should, I, I wish I note, noted where that came from. But I feel like Boston maybe the high voice, high man singing. Because they're so slick and overdubbed, and I love what I loved about right. you. It sounded very analog. I don't yeah, know if it was analog or it wasn't. It's not analog, but but uh, but that flavor of the seventies and it, you know. Yeah, yeah, a continuous take of guitar and bass and drums. Right. <laughs> um, all right, so a little bit of fun stuff, and then I I end everything with the same five questions. Everybody gets uh, the fun stuff is just going through your social feeds. Yeah, um, karaoke. Yeah, is Seeger your go-to? Uh, it's usually people sign me up to do Seeger because they just want to, you know, hear me sing Night Moves <laughs> or something like that. But I love Bob Seeger. Um, I need to get signed up for things I don't know well enough, and then that would make it fair. Okay. Is that a, a is that a common social activity for you guys in the band? Uh, we do it from time to time. Okay. Yeah, because I think you also posted about. Uh, Jason doing something. Yeah, he, so he nothing compares to you. Nothing compares to you in Amsterdam uh, <laughs> one night for for the band and about three other people sitting at the bar. Nice. Um, are you an Oasis fan? Yep, huge Oasis okay, fan. Okay, are yeah. you Team Noel or Team Liam? I'm I'm a uh, just Team Gallagher. Okay. Yeah, I'm just I'm just <laughs> I, I I like them both. Uh, I don't know how serious they're. Their fighting really is, and I love that. And I, I love that they're still relevant to yeah. this day, with uh, just their kind of free for all <laughs> language that they use. Um, yeah, I, I love everything about them, and I, I love that they just came from absolutely nothing to to something. Yeah, they seem to bigger be than a, life. You yeah. know, I mean, they they really went for the stratosphere. Got it at certain points of their career. Yeah, and I, I think some of their best records were their their last three or four albums mm-hmm. that the U.S. didn't really. I don't think they really got big over here. Those records, but they're really good. Did you see? They just had a. Um, did they do a documentary? Yes. it's wonderful. Yeah, gonna find it. Really good. R- really well done. Um, visiting Pearl Jam eight, uh, headquarters. Yes. What was that like? That was that was super cool. They have a, an amazing facility, really a family vibe. Like their all their management, merch, everything happens there. They rehearse there, all their gear. It's super cool. And did I mean, you have one. to know somebody to do that? <laughs> yeah, I had a, I have a friend who uh, knew someone over there that knew I was in Seattle and was like, "Dude, you got to go over there, and I'll get you in there." So. That's cool. That's very cool. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, your dog Lucy. Mm-hmm. You found her. Yes. Was that a traumatic time, or was that a? That was a, super traumatic. A number of days, or was that a twenty-four? We were. Hour? That was 2015, and we were uh, in New York. Just put out something more than free, <clears throat> and Candace, my wife, calls me. It's like so upset. Like Lucy's gone missing. We were hiring this like. Like person to come let her out, and uh, she just got super freaked out. Found a hole in the corner of the fence and ran away. And so she was gone for I believe a day and night. And we found her the next day, and she was underneath a truck, like on a driveway down the down the road. 
and her her uh, it was in the summertime. Her paw prints were all burned off and everything. But oh. I was helpless. I was in New York, and we were doing you know late night. We were doing all this press for the right. the new album had just come out, and yes, but we <laughs> thank God we found the dog. That's so funny. So the, Lucy the, the, is safe. And the safe. picture itself too. The dog looks. Yeah, you know, it, it she looks was like messed up. A, you know. she was okay, but she she got messed up pretty good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, I got one more question. I'm going to throw at the back end of the, the final five. So, uh, the final five. First question is, you know, God forbid your house is on fire, everyone's all right, but what do you go back in and get in terms of a music related item with sentimental value? Oh, jeez. My dad's acoustic guitar. Okay. Is it a like a? It's a Yamaha FG one eighty red label. Um, it, but you know, it's the first guitar I ever played. It's a guitar right. I learned on. I've written a lot of songs on it. Sat in the Country Music Hall of Fame for about a year and a half. That would be, oh, yeah, for you sure. know, uh, as far as Sign something musical. <laughs> yeah, it's like definitely should grab that guitar. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, if the Rockonomics podcast was so successful, we were flush with cash. I was able to give my guests a million dollars to donate to their one charity. What would your one charity be? Oh man, um, I would I would donate it to to something like with with like gun reform or, or something like that. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. I, I just I want more things to happen with that. Yeah, I hear you. You know. And I'm I'm for people having guns. By the way, I'm I'm into to, you know, gun rights. But we just have Sen- to figure out something. Sensible so gun laws. If it's a yeah, sensible gun laws. So if if, yeah. if a million dollars will help fix something like that, I would that would definitely be into that. Yeah. No, I hear you. I, I agree with you. And I think unfortunately the the you know the monsters out there, not not the monsters that are. I mean, monsters are doing the shooting, but the monsters that are shifting the conversation to. They're t- trying to take away your guns. Yes. You know, it's like I think, I think you and I see eye to eye on this. It's just about we don't, you know, make it a. If you're a hunter, let's make it a fair fight. I'm all for it. You don't need an automatic weapon. I'm all for know? that. Yes. So, all right, I'm with you. Okay, little little. Uh, I was going to say a little lighter note. It's not a lighter note. If you live to a ripe old age of 99 and you pass peacefully in your bed in your sleep, hugging your favorite guitar, what would your <laughs> walk up music be to the pearly gates? Uh, probably Marwa Blues off of George Harrison's Brainwashed album. Okay, I don't know that, but I will. Is absolutely seek it out. Beautiful, and there are these. There's a there. There's these tension chords that happen too, which I feel like it's it's uh, there's there's a lot of like light and shade that happens in that song, but it's just beautiful. But then it has this one tension moment you know and, and I feel like that that's your rise to, right. to the heavens that's probably what it is going to feel like, like you're going to you're going to feel is happy it, and is fearful. the door opening is it open is it's, it opening yeah it's going to be a, it's going to be a happy scary feeling I yeah. think um, if that's the way it all goes down and, and who better than George Harrison to be able to put that yeah. into music I mean he was so spiritual so I think maybe maybe that's what he was thinking about <laughs> But yeah, y'all check that that tune out. It is absolutely beautiful. It's a good one. Check it out. Uh, on the reverse of that, you sold yourself for rock and roll. You got to pay for it. You're going to hell. What's stuck on repeat in hell? Oh man, I you know I had this the other day. 
<laughs> there's, there's probably no shortage. But. Yeah. Oh, no. What would be my hell? Probably like Margaritaville by Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> I think that would probably be... Okay. Yeah. I'm sure growing up, growing up on the shore, you probably had to hear that one too many times. I think play it one too many times. That's exactly so my right. answer. Yeah, okay. Margaritaville by Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> All right. Uh, last question is uh, favorite concert you've witnessed with your own two eyes in two years. Oh, um, it would it would have to be Prince in uh, Madison Square Garden. Got to see him not uh, too long ago. I know he's uh, in 2011 or okay. 2000. Actually, no, it was 2009. It was right around New Year's 09, 2010. Okay. Yeah. At, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, that was. I, I nothing's beat it. Okay. You're, you know. you're the second guest who's uh, who's who's mentioned him. Really? Yeah. Who else yeah. mentioned him? Uh, Kevin Edwards, the Rolling Stone writer. Okay. He said uh, he said he saw him and finished the show, and not all the lights went up. But enough flights went up where people started leaving. He's like, that's weird. And he stuck around, and Prince came back out for like a, a laid encore and played in like another half an hour. Yeah, he, that guy, he loved to jam. <laughs> he loved to jam. Uh, I just, I, I, I don't celebrate everything Prince has done. It's just something about his concert. I mean, yeah. there's just no one that, that could touch him. He was like, he was like Jimi Hendrix, Sly Stone, and James Brown all rolled up in the one tiny man with platform heels you know, <laughs> you know but it just just class act I mean I've never seen someone control an arena full of people yeah. so well I turned it into a nightclub right like it just had, had you the whole time <laughs> so that definitely there's there's no one you know it, it, it uh, he's not like I say he's not my favorite artist but uh, it was it's just incredible and I got to see him twice so definitely haven't no one's beat him all right. Uh, I just had one random question just in, in, you know, researching you and stumbling upon some of the stuff Jason does and some of the other band members do. Does anybody in your band wear shorts? <laughs> I was wearing shorts yesterday, actually. Uh, yes. Yeah, but you don't get photographed in shorts. No, that, that'd, be, that'd be outside of the uniform laws I, 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 of I, rock and roll. I, I, was, <laughs> I was getting a sense of that. Just every picture, even, I'm like, I know if you're, any summer tour or amphitheater, it's, it's hot. Yeah. You guys are always yeah. in, even sound checks or whatever. Yeah. 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 But funny. All right. <laughs> Jimbo <laughs> may be wearing shorts today and sandals at Soundcheck. I don't know. Should take a picture if it's if it's really happening. <laughs> Keep a lookout. Yeah. Well, Santa, this was great. This yeah. is a pleasure of mine. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for I appreciate it. it. Hey, my pleasure. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Sadler Vaden of Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit. You can keep up with Sadler on his newly refreshed website, SadlerBaden.com, and follow him on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can do the same socially for Rockonomics, and if you like the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and leave us a comment. We'll be back next Tuesday with a keyboard player hailing from Rochester, New York, so you can bet we talk about every touring musician's favorite late-night diner, Nick Tahoe's, and what the hell is in their infamous garbage plate. Episode 38 has been 86. Good night, Cleveland.